Welcome to the Speech Link. I'm your host, Sharp Oshart, and I invite you to listen and learn practical strategies from experienced experts to take your therapy to the next level. Getting a child to say a good er sound is one thing, but getting them to use it consistently is another. Now, you know the easy R program for getting the er, but what about generalization? Well, what about the new R speech practice audios? Kids love to practice them and you quickly access them via QR codes. Go to speechdynamics.com to take advantage of the 40% off sale price. Do it now. All right. Ooh. Well, I think we are starting and hello, everybody. And before we actually start, let's talk disclosures. Uh, regarding financial disclosures, Dr. Reed receives an honorarium for this podcast from speechtherapypd.com. And she receives a salary from Alabama A&M University. Personally, I too receive an honorarium for the speech link. And I am a presenter for speechtherapypd.com. And I receive royalty payments. I also own Speech Dynamics, Inc. Regarding non-financial disclosures, neither Dr. Reed nor I have any to report. Okay. All right. So welcome. Welcome to our SpeechLink podcast, sponsored, of course, by SpeechTherapyPD.com. I'm Shar Beauchart, your speech language pathologist host, and I'm so glad that you're here for our very timely topic, oral facial myofunctional disorders instruction at the university level. Whoa. I can't wait. I cannot wait to hear what what Dr. Uh, Reed has to say about this. This is it's very exciting. Um, but to all of you, you're very welcome to participate during our time together. Just you know, type your question or comment into the chat, and one of us will read it, and Dr. Reed will respond. So Dr. Hope Reed, SLPD, CCC, SLP, COM, Certified Oral Facial Myologist, earned her doctorate in speech-language pathology from Nova Southeastern University. She's a fellow of the American Speech-Language Hearing Association and is a professor of communicative sciences and disorders at Alabama A&M University. She joined the faculty there in 2002 and teaches graduate and undergraduate courses in craniofacial anomalies. Now get this, craniofacial anomalies, articulation, phonology, language, fluency, and methods and materials for school-based SLPs. I'm thinking she's like a one-man band there. She covers it all. And importantly, she is a certified oral facial myologist. And Dr. Reed has established the world's world's first university-based clinic for children and adults with oral facial myofunctional disorders. Her research encompasses such topics as health literacy, counseling students and patients, e-learning fatigue. Ooh, I'm kind of excited. I, I, we got to have you back for that one, as well as oral facial myofunctional disorders. And she's a frequent presenter from international to local conferences. And her clinical experience encompasses public schools, private sector, healthcare, Head Start, and university settings. So she's done a lot of therapy, which is a really good thing. And she's worked in the field of speech pathology for 25 years. Dr. Reed is on the editorial review board for the International Journal of Oral Facial Myology and Myofunctional Therapy, which is the official journal of the IAOM, the International Association of Oral Facial Myology. And notably, she established and is chair of the Institutional Review Board, the IRB for the IAOM. Very cool. And she's been recognized in our field for Distinguished Service Awards, Outstanding Clinical Achievement Awards, as well as receiving numerous certificates of appreciation and commendation for her service to the profession. I have no doubt that all of those are well-deserved. And she and she prefers for us to call her Hope instead of Dr. Reed. So a hearty welcome to the speech link, Hope. Thank you so much, Shara. I have just been so excited. I could barely sleep this week looking forward to this presentation and talking with you. And I'm just grateful and thankful, appreciative that you invited me to join your podcast. 
well, I'm just, I, I'm thrilled that you accepted. And I too am just, I really accept it. I mean, we've got an hour here and we can cover, you know, some information, but I just have a feeling that you've got a lot of unique things to say because I've never talked to anybody who has actually, you know, incorporated this into their university setting. So this is something new. I'm really excited to hear about that. Um, so to begin, um, I have never met anybody, anybody, anyone who says that during their university years, they received oral facial myofunctional disorders information or they had an opportunity to do myofunctional therapy in the clinic, not a one, and I certainly didn't. And, you know, I want to rush in and ask you how you did this, okay, but I'm going to hold off on that. So I'd like to begin with the question of what motivated you to begin introducing myofunctional therapy into your university clinic? Okay. Well, I, I did learn about myofunctional disorders in, and this is probably, you know, a lot of the impetus behind what I do now. Uh, my best friend, who was my instructor, clinic director in undergrad and grad school, Dr. Jennifer Vinson, uh, she had attended a seminar with the late Roberta B. Pierce here in the Huntsville area. She was here, practiced for 40 years, life member of IAOM, past president. Uh, literally wrote the book uh, for therapy and treatment in this area. And so Dr. Vinson uh, was teaching my clinical procedures class and she did you know, maybe a one day session with us, kind of introducing us to uh, orofacial myofunctional disorders. And I later went on, you know, all the pieces of the puzzle just fell into place for me. Uh, I later went on to work in uh, private practice with Roberta Pierce and so I uh, worked in the public schools, was working in the public schools. I would see Roberta's patients in the summer when, like you, Char, she would go on these wonderful speaking engagements to Hawaii and wonderful places. And so I would stay back in Huntsville and see patients for her. And then when I enrolled in my doctoral program, uh, the university, Alabama A&M University, caught wind that I was in a doctoral program. And of course, we need instructors and doctoral level people in our field. And we did then certainly. And they asked me to come back and teach. Um, wasn't teaching the same courses, of course, 20 years ago that I teach now. I wasn't doing the Arctic and phonology coursework, but I was teaching methods and materials for school-based speech language pathologists. Mm -hmm. And Dr. Vinson, uh, who was still there at the program, she is now since retired, but she's my dear, you know, dearest friend in the world. Um, she said, you know, would you consider, could you include, and do you have time to cover the myofunctional related content in this course? Because, of course, you're, you're teaching um, students to prepare them to be school-based speech-language pathologists, which Asha loves that we have that, that course in our program. Um, you know, would you have time to introduce some orofacial myofunctional content. And so that's where I started. And it really seemed to be a nice fit. It worked very well. The, these were undergraduates at the senior level. So they had the background in Arctic, you know, and, and other courses, they could handle it um, at that level. And then, of course, now I teach our undergraduate articulation phonology course. And so I can incorporate it there. Wow. Okay. So you had a stepping stone. Mm -hmm. You had someone or a couple of someones mm -hmm. that were already experienced, understood the need, mm -hmm. and I'm going to say the depth and the breadth of the field, mm -hmm. and um, which is wonderful. So you kind of piggybacked and you were a perfect young person coming into the university. You had done therapy. And so you just absorb all of that information and they said now just release it in the school in in the um in, in your content for your courses and then also in the clinic so you had interested people at your back and at your foundation which is wonderful now you said something there that asha please clarify this for me that asha is or was 
accepting or very happy to hear that you have an oral facial myofunctional content they uh, were course or what what was that our methods and materials course we don't at alabama a&m just teach the asha the big nine as we call it arctic language development audiology those classes we teach other classes and one of those courses that we that's been in our program since i was a student there is methods and materials for speech language pathologists working in the public schools long course name we just call it methods and materials Right. Um, and ASHA, I've been through several site visits, accreditations, reaccreditations over the years as a student and faculty member now. Yeah. And they've always been pleased and had um, favorable comments that we have that course in our curriculum because statistics say that over half of all SLPs at some point will work in the public schools. And I've always said that's where we bring our services to the masses. Um, you know, that's how we reach the majority of America's children and how mm -hmm. um, we get our services out there. So, you know, my heart is for those school kiddos and those school SLPs. And so they've always responded favorably when they see that we've left that. And of course, it's evolved over the years, but we've, you know, we've kept that course in our curriculum for our undergraduates. Yeah. Oh, good. Good. Mm -hmm. Good. Wow. All right. So, um, I'm so glad to hear that. You know, I know exactly what you're talking about. When I taught at Loma Linda University, we had a course called Procedures and Materials. <laughs> so ah. it was kind of the <laughs> same thing. Yeah, yeah. Which is kind of the the application piece, you know, of, of here's the theoretical stuff and now here's the application. And I think everybody needs that, maybe a course or two at least. But yeah, mm -hmm. I love that. Okay, okay. So let's let's lay another foundation here in your expertise and your knowledge how do you describe what are oral facial myofunctional disorders facial myofunctional disorders i kind of pull from a lot of different resources when i when i do my definition there um these are patterns of behavior that involve you know the oral and the facial structures and muscles um and if they're doing something outside of what we consider the norm or typical behavior, um, then we tend to think of that as, you know, being in line with a myofunctional disorder. Um, is it interfering with normal function? Is it interfering with growth, with the dentition? And is it is it creating, you know, occlusal issues? Um, and just that good old Van Riper definition, does it call attention to itself? <laughs> And so, you know, that's kind of my nutshell of myofunctional disorders. Okay. And are you, are you thinking as far as functions, oral functions, speaking, chewing, swallowing, or do you have, do you divide, do you have some boundaries there, or you just open it up to oral functions? I open Period. it up to, um, because to me, the, well, the myofunctional disorders impact speaking, um, a lot of times we see a lot of kids with arctic disorders who also have the myofunctional issues um, underlying the arctic problems, mm -hmm. the chewing and the swallowing. And then also it includes those um, behaviors, habits, um, uh, negative habits, you know, that we that can also play into, um, you know, some of some of the issues we see. So fingernail biting. I worked with a fingernail peeler years ago. Very interesting case. Very painful to look at. Fixed it. <laughs> um, uh, chewing, biting on pencils. Um, children, you know, chewing and biting on their their shirts. So, um, and then the thumb sucking, digit sucking habits. You know, tongue thrust. Of course, that's probably that's <laughs> the thrust of what I do in my clinic. Tongue thrust. Um, so really I incorporate, I consider all of that. I don't really get into the pediatric and infant feeding, swallowing, breastfeeding, you know, I don't start seeing, uh, my kiddos in the clinic until they're four for the, the digit thumb sucking habits. And then at age eight, and I'm pretty strict with that. Actually, I'm very strict with that age eight for the tongue thrust issues. Mm -hmm. 
Okay. All right. So um, these kinds of things, and I know that these are just, you know, sort of hitting the surface. Um, do you include this kind of thing in your course content? Are you like, what course would it be? And is it on your articulation? Um, craniofacial? What what course do you include this in? Mostly it's included in our undergraduate articulation disorders course. And okay. I can go into kind of an outline of things I teach in there. Um, I haven't, since I've been teaching the Artic class, I haven't had to pull it into the methods course um, since, but I was teaching methods before I was teaching Artic. So that was where, you know, we decided to put okay. it. Um, in the, at the graduate level, uh, it's a summer course. And so it's really, oh, that's intense. You've got all of the hmm. ASHA student learning outcomes to cover in an eight week session that we, you would normally cover in 16 weeks. So I do address tongue thrust, but it's more of a, a cursory, a very introductory kind of um, view to tongue thrust. But a lot of our students I have taught at the undergraduate level. So by the time they get to the graduate level, it's kind of a refresher for them um, what tongue thrust is. And it's covered in the craniofacial textbooks I'm using. Um, Ann Coomer does a good job of addressing that. She's got some good handouts for students that I've used. Um, but mostly it's in our undergraduate articulation and phonological disorders course. Okay. Okay. Um, let me just ask you here, and I don't know if we talked about this question. Um, in fact, I'm pretty sure we didn't. What would you say, why would you say that most university departments do not include oral facial myofunctional disorders in their curriculum? What well, would be I, your thought? Your now this this is you speculating. Sure, yes, it, yes, it's speculative. Um, but we do have some surveys. We do have some data. Um, we know it's not being included. <laughs> um, I think one factor is there's so much. You know, ASHA accredits graduate master's level um, speech path programs, and of course they do the audiology side, but speech path. We have those big nine courses. We have to cover all that content. We have to cover right. all of those student learning outcomes. And that's a lot of information. Um, you know, I, I went through school when we didn't even have a dysphagia course. You know, I took dysphagia at the at the doctoral level. So we we keep just having to incorporate more and more because our scope grows and grows and our stakeholders, yeah. you know, they have things that they demand from university programs. We have to be mindful of that when we go up for our reaccreditation cycles. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm not sure that there's, you know, I, I think it could be, it can be challenging to find time and, you know, where will we put the content? That's a little less challenging where, because there's certainly courses where it fits better. Um, but then also I think we just, um, we have, you know, uh, I don't think we have enough certified orofacial myologists. So in the university settings, I know um seems like um, Ole Miss, University of Mississippi has had a person there and I'm, the name is escaping me for a while. We've had, um uh, I think, Joni Lofton up at Idaho State. Um, and of course, I got an email from Akron, University of Akron the other day with one of your hmm. um colleagues. Um, so it's just few and far between. It seems like those of us who are certified orofacialologists who work at the university setting, we naturally bring it in, but you just don't have enough COMs within universities. Um, and so we're going to be the ones who um, push for that content to get included. Mm -hmm. So Yes. And, and it's okay. a high, it's, it's a specialty, you know, it's a, it's yeah. um, a secondary specialty area. Of course, we all have to be um, certified in our field as speech pathologist, or you do have uh, registered dental hygienists who are COMs, but you know, it's another, it's a specialty certification on top of everything else we have to do. And I think, I think those present challenges 
for university settings. Yes. But it is in textbooks yes. more and more, I'm proud to say. It's, it's, is it really? Yes. And I I was so pleased. It was in Pena Brooks, uh, Pro-Ed, her uh, articulation disorders textbook. Yeah. And it is one of the nine factors that influence speech development, speech disorders. Well, hot diggity. Is that the I one? I think I have her older book. It's the white book, the big, thick white book. It's kind of a, a turquoise and purple edition okay. now. It's That's very be the, It's been, it's okay. been around. It's, I've probably got, you know, several editions of it. I like but that. Yes, there's yes. a white one in like a white and blue background. Okay. Yeah. Yes. I like that book a lot. Yes. Well, good. Yes, well, it's in there. That's and amazing. a very good description of it. Yes. I'm so yeah. excited. Oh, yeah. That is exciting. That is really exciting. You know, I when um when I was asked to you know, to teach. I taught at Loma Linda University for a while. And then um, I did an adjunct articulation, undergrad articulation course at Redlands University. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I taught Artic over at Loma Linda as well. And I wanted to include some information about the mouth. (laughs) Okay, silly me. I wanted something, something orally based, you know, oral oriented information. And honestly, I could not find a textbook that even covered more than two or three paragraphs, just cursory information about the mouth. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was really disappointed. So I'm very heartened to hear that, that at least we have one. And um, I'm sure that it'll grow. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, when, when you start writing your textbook, Hope, you'll have to include it. You know, so you never well, know. I have, a, I have a counseling textbook. Of course, it's been out of print for years Ooh. now. But yeah, um, oh, the cool. Arctic side. Um, yeah, that was 2011. So that's you okay. know, the life yeah. of a textbook is just a few years. Yeah, um, but counseling doesn't go out of style. I no, mean, no, no, need no. It. Counseling yeah. is, is more in style than than anything. So that's than my ever. love. Yes, that's my other love. Well, where, where could we get our hand? Is it still around at all? Well, it was it, published by Lingua Systems and, you know, ooh, their yeah. uh, founders retired and yeah. uh, they sold off some of their product line to yeah. um, Super Duper and Pro Ed. But yeah, it's been, yeah. it might be floating around out there on Amazon still, but, um, okay. you know, people can join me at a seminar or a talk sometime, you know, I'm, I'm yeah. still doing the counseling thing and I teach our counseling okay. course too. So not to, not okay. to get off track from, yes. from functional, but Yes, I'm so excited. It's in the textbooks. And the thing about textbooks, what I'm seeing the trend in our field, too, is they are becoming, I mean, we still have to cover theory. We still have to, you know, we still have to do theory, of course. That's the underpinnings for, you know, evidence-based practice and everything. Right. But textbook companies, publishers, they are working more and more to make the information for students more practical and more relevant. And doing wow. case studies. And so I think that's wow. part of what's brought brought the tongue thrust and the myofunctional component in uh, <clears throat> yeah. to that major textbook in our field is because they're recognizing the relevance of it. And we can't just leave that topic out. Yes. It has to well, be addressed. Good. Oh, I'm so glad. I'm so glad. Yes. When I was researching for, um, actually, I think I was researching for the perfect oral motor storm, um, I came across many. And actually, they were posted on ASHA, um, several um, journal articles that did extensive reviews of articles, you know, over the years. Mm-hmm. And I mean, they found such things like in, in the field of language therapy, where there was absolutely nothing on working with middle school kids with language disorders. I believe really, it. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, and we had nothing that really um, verified how many sessions we should do or how much, how intensive we should get or, you know, anything that was that pra- of practical nature of what we should really be doing. We have a lot of information about language and, and it has just grown through the years, but nothing really that focused on the application of it. And you know, that kind of takes me back to the whole oral motor thing, you know. Well, I, I can't tell you how many journal articles that I read, and I read a lot of journal articles. I can't tell you the number at the very end. It always says more research is needed. 
you know, more research needed. And it certainly was was validated in that, um, you know, the the 2006, 7, 8, 9, 10 years when all of those review articles were done. Uh-huh. And it just, it it blows my mind. So I'm thinking that maybe now, here we are, you know, a good 10, 15 years down the line, that now researchers are kind of getting the message and figuring out how to research the the practicality of what they've been teaching and what we've been learning. And so maybe it's starting to come to fruition. Exactly. And um, I know Dr. Nancy Solomon, who you and I have both presented with, uh, she uh, is the editor-in-chief of our International Journal of Orofacial Myology, the official journal of IAOM. She's really... Um, out there pushing for more research. And so if, and clinicians, we need clinicians who are willing to do research and write up case studies. And um, she's a great um, help with that, you know, because I think sometimes I have so many SLPs out there who say research scares them. It doesn't need to scare you. You know, what you're doing out in the field every day is daunting. You're you're out there, you know, I mean, confronting problems and dealing with you know, everything that's being thrown at you and learning about it and keeping pace, you know, with the profession. And so I would encourage people who are working with children with myofunctional disorders or who even have an interest in it and you see it in your caseload, you know, write up a case study, um, partner with a university person if the research piece is daunting. Um, And, you know, those partnerships work very well. We've gotten some really um, good research out of those partnerships with especially school-based people and university people. Um, There you go. Works out very well. And so I would encourage people, you know, consider um, submitting an article to the International Journal of Orofacial Myology. Contact me. I will, you know, assist you uh, with that endeavor to the extent humanly possible. Um, So. Yeah, that's yes. it's it's well, exciting that wonderful. You know, we're moving forward and we're moving along, but yes, more research is always always needed, especially in this area. Yes, definitely. And I I'm just, you know, I want to second it and I've, you know, I've worked a little bit with you and I've worked a little bit with Nancy Solomon and both of you are extremely knowledgeable, but I'm going to say very down to earth and you have your feet firmly planted in the desire to move forward and to help other SLPs on how to do the research. And, 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 and I understand, yes, it can be scary, but, you know, sitting across from, from, you know, an eight-year-old that's having difficulty with speech and maybe difficulty with swallowing and, you know, has some behavior issues Mm -hmm. and, 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 Mm-hmm. That's daunting, yes. <laughs> you know, trying to work with a human being. And I've always said that that therapy is trying to get an, another person to do something that they can't do. Yes, that yes. is therapy. We are not teachers. Mm-hmm. We don't stand up there and we just say, here's the information. Go ahead and and just absorb it and learn it. <laughs> you know, no, therapy is different. It's very mm-hmm. different. And it is, I'm going to say, behavior shaping. Yes. I tell my students all the time. I I tell them every day we are behaviorists. We talk about behavioral theory. We talk about the behavioral approach in counseling. We are we're two things I tell my students, you know, all the time. We're behaviorists and we're child development experts. We're child developmentalists. Those two things, especially when you work with children, as that has been, you know, most of my career. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And we cannot know too much no. about both of those. I mean, we just, we really can't. So and if yeah. you ever want to feel like you don't know enough, sit in front of an eight-year-old, sit in front of a <laughs> table full of, of school children. And yeah, and you're like, oh gosh, I could, I could, I just could never know everything I need to know. Yeah. But well, that's exciting yeah. too. It's exciting yeah. that there's always something else to learn. Oh, there is. And, and I'm, you know, I, the thing is, you know, people purport um, theories and methodologies and so on. And I certainly have done that through the years. But the thing is, as soon as you learn how to do that, and you, you apply that with a child or two or 10 or a hundred, here comes one that just is outside the mold. 
Mm-hmm. And you're kind of back to square one and having to figure it out. And the nice thing about oral facial myology is that it gives you other options to look at mm-hmm. and other things that may be a factor in in um, impacting speaking, chewing, swallowing, or whatever that function or functions that you're working on. Um, and and I think now I don't know this, but let me just throw this out and see what you think about um, this topic. Um, or this, uh, I don't even know if it's a topic, it, but it's its something that's in the back of my mind, and I'm just wondering if you think it's true or not. Um, it, we have focused for the last, oh, geez, I'm going to say 30, 40 years, pretty much is in regarding to speech, pretty much on the auditory piece. And we've had a heavy focus on the auditory piece and how it relates to the cognitive piece and language development and so on, as far as the phonological um, development of of a child. And 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 I certainly, I mean, I certainly understand a lot of that. I'm not an expert in it, but it, it what I know makes sense. Um, but also, there's a lot of individuals that if we do say some type of word pairing therapy with them or some other type of therapy that's more auditorily based. Um, Sometimes that works and sometimes it doesn't. And, uh, you know, a lot of times I think we need to delve deeper and we need to look at that source of speech, which is the oral mechanism, Mm -hmm. oral respiratory, et cetera, mechanism, phonatory, you throw throw them all in there. Mm -hmm. There's, there's something amiss. And I'm not saying to throw out the auditory piece. Obviously, that's critically important. But to bring in that oral-oriented um, piece that contains several options for us to look at, mm-hmm. and and if we find something, you know, that's that's awry, then we try and and um, remediate that, or at least work around it, or do uh, uh, com- compensatory therapy. Um, or as you say, work with the muscles and so on. Mm-hmm. So I think it gives us additional therapeutic options. I, yes. I don't know what what say you. Absolutely, the uh, you know in teaching the undergraduate, and I think we had a question about the textbook. It's Pena Brooks, P E N with the tilde mm. over it, a, a hyphenated Brooks, B R O O K S. Uh, it's from ProEd. It is. Uh, I want to say the title assessment and treatment of speech sound disorders, but it is uh, kind of an aqua and a purple um, color, but it's Pena Brooks. And you just key in on that author. That's one of the two authors, I think. Yeah. Yeah. She's good. Um, But yeah, in teaching articulation disorders, I am still amazed how much time is spent in the textbooks talking about the auditory piece, which absolutely it is a piece of the puzzle. But then there's also some research that says, you know, we've focused on auditory discrimination between the error and the target sound for so many years. And there's research um, trending towards, um, you know, a lot of kids who have speech sound disorders, they understand the difference. They can discriminate between the target sound and their error sound, you know. And if they can, of course, we need to address that. But it is amazing how little time is actually spent on the mouth (laughs) components of it all. Um, Because we're speech language pathologists, sometimes I think maybe the auditory component might be the easier. I don't want to say research is easy. None of it's easy, but the easier piece to research. And so maybe that's been the thrust behind a lot of it. I think it gets a little more complicated when we start dealing with people's mouths and the diff- there's so many more differences here than there are here. It just in, mm-hmm. you know, the way mm-hmm. I perceive things. Mm-hmm. Um, point. But yeah, we don't. And we do the oral perif exams, oral mechanism exams. Um, but we need to pay more attention to what's going on in and around here. Are you taking advantage of our new handy feature, the Certificate Tracker? Keep a record of all your CEUs, not just for any of the 750 audio and video courses here at SpeechTherapyPD.com, but from anywhere. Upload your certificates and voila, you have an organized, all-in-one place record of all your CEUs. Cool. Yes, and how it can impact 
speaking, chewing, and swallowing. So mm-hmm. um, talk with me a little bit about um, issues that you see and how they do impact um, speaking, chewing, swallowing. And, and I'm sure that you can reflect back on some cases or just how, you know, what you teach in your your courses, your course content, or, you know, marry it together a little bit for us, if you would. Okay. Well, um, I do a lot in every seminar um, where I present or, you know, webinar, whatever the case may be. And in my classes, I talk a lot about the red flags um, associated with tongue thrust. Um, you know, uh, swallowing with those back teeth completely apart, poor movement of the masters. I call it the busy chewing, the busy face. You know, you've got the temporalis muscles going. You've got all kinds of tension around the lips. And then the mentalis, the masseters are underactive, but they need to be more active. Um, the speech component with that, the, the problems with the S, especially the frontal lisping, the interdentalizations, um, T, D, L, and N are, of course, if we have that incoordinated tongue, um, not focusing on strength. It's hard to quantify strength, but focusing on the incoordination. We know that, that if we can get those muscles more coordinated, then that can help with R as well. Um, and looking at, you know, is a child a messy eater? You know, is, is, I had a sixth grader in the public schools years ago and she, you know, she would have salad dressing just oozing out of her mouth, you know, messy eating, um, the, the biting of the lips, dry lips, licking the lips a lot, um, with that, in that chronic open mouth posture, not necessarily mouth breathing, because Dr. Bob Mason warns us, you know, he's been warning us about that for years. Don't think that just because a child is sitting there mouth open that they're breathing through their mouth. You know, it's an open mouth rest posture. We don't know if they're actually breathing through their mouth or not. So um, we've learned to not just assume it's mouth breathing. Um, And then, of course, a trend that we can address later if we have time, the sleep disordered breathing in children. Um, I'm hoping I've addressed everything you wanted me to. Uh, But just (laughs) the the muscle in coordination. the open mouth resting posture, messy eaters, um, getting tummy aches after they eat frequently, um, you know, any kind of digestive problems, looking at babies who maybe had a history of colic, extended bottle feeding, and oh my goodness, this this could be an entire uh, podcast in and of itself, sippy cups. I get a lot of questions about sippy cups. So I hope that I hope that's how you wanted it married together. Uh, I wanted you to marry it however you okay. see it fits. Yeah, yeah, I yeah, and and see all of that. Um, boy, you know, I looking at um, oral facial myofunctional muscle function disorders, and I mean that's pretty broad pretty broad. And, you know, as I look at the individual functions, you know, we, we look at um, speaking and let me just add a little bit to what you were saying, which was really good. Um, But something that I have, and you and I talked about this, something that I've kind of discovered through the years that really helped me to look at oral functions and then to look at those other things that you were talking about as far as the tongue thrust, which is a tongue that is at the horizontal midline of the mouth and moving horizontally. Or, you know, you have lack of the dentition closing and the masseters not contracting and so on. Mm -hmm. And I have learned through the years to take a lot of those things and apply them to two words and sort of sort them and see which camp they belong in. And the two words are, stabilization and mobilization. Mm-hmm. So if we look at mobilization and which you know we have looked at mobilization in swallowing and speaking and chewing for many many years that mobilization piece has been the focus. But if we look at the stabilization piece it broadens and makes sense. And so if you have an individual where the, you know, the jaws lowered a little bit and the teeth are apart and so on, and the tongue is at the horizontal midline and it's moving forward, 
what we're lacking there when you bite your teeth together in order to swallow, that is a stabilization piece. Also, as you bite your teeth together, it helps to get the tongue. You know, the tongue does have to go the rest of the way to the top. And so you can ascribe a lot of those things that you were talking about to you know, stabilization and mobilization. And as far as resting postures, I am a major resting posture proponent. Why? Because when the tongue is elevated and, you know, the front fourth to third is sitting on the alveolar ridge and you have the sides of the tongue, you know, touching this top side teeth, that is in the optimum operating zone for your, especially for your swallowing, but especially for your speaking. Many of our, of our speech sounds happen above the horizontal midline, up within the dental arch, which is this, Mm -hmm. and the sides of the tongue brace and hold on and gives anchorage to that moving part or the moving part and back. And so you have stabilization must take place near the moving part to give you, and you used this term, to give you control. So in order to look at, yes, that mobilization piece is so very important. And we talk about place, manner, voice, and you know how the front part of the tongue moves and interacts and you have a fricative and you have all those things. The thing is that gives you that capability for that front part of the tongue to move and for the tongue to anchor itself within that placement, that elevated placement is the sides of the tongue gives you that anchorage to keep that tongue in place. And then you have the internal stabilization and internal contraction in the mid tongue, which enables the front part of the tongue to move and sustain itself in space as you generate you know, the front part that's in, in spatial, in the spatial um, realm, it's not touching anything as air flows through for your fricatives, for your front tongue fricatives. So I would add taking a, a really interesting look at that stabilization piece. You know, what do we need to do for speaking, chewing and swallowing from that stabilization perspective? And then how did the, how does all of those stabilization pieces fit together with the mobilization. And wow, that just opens it up, just Mm -hmm. opens it up. So yeah, just, just. And Asha would agree with you because I use the practice portal all the time. I am a huge fan of the Asha practice portal. And it sounds like, Shar, you could have written the orofacial myofunctional disorder section within the practice portal, specifically, um, how to improve speech sound articulatory placement. It's exactly the things that you just said. And it's really? that stabilization. Yes. All right. You Good. mirrored. I mean, you could have, you could have, you, you know, for all, if I didn't know better, I would say you wrote that piece because it talks about um, what happens when we try to initiate speech sounds from an abnormal placement and we don't have that stabilization component that you're talking about. Okay. Um, I mean, yeah, it's now that's the perfect marriage right there. You got it between the practice portal and what Asha has found the research to be and what you have found the reality to be, you know, marrying theory with practice. Yes, yes. Well, you've got, um, you know, Brian Jick and you've got uh, Stone and you've got Gibbons and you've got Fletcher that focused on the palatography work and they did so much great research research on the palatography that that indicates the stabilization of the sides of the tongue and the sides mm-hmm. of the teeth and the perimeter of the palate. Then you've got Brian Jick who has done his work and he wrote an article in, in 2017 that says, Speaking tongues are always braced. In fact, that is the title of one of his articles. Mm -hmm. Speaking tongues are always braced, Mm -hmm. giving that support to the moving parts. It has to have that. So when your tongue is in a lowered position and you're moving horizontally, you're not stabilized anywhere. Mm -hmm. You know, and so that tongue thrust piece. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Absolutely. And of course, all that marries up with an open mouth posture. And if there is not a, a an optimal breathing, whether it is mouth breathing or not, if the if um, 
the nose, the nasal passages have some kind of an obstruction, all of that. It all goes together. It's all connected in some it way. It does. Mm-hmm. It does. It does. And I've used the term through the years that there's so many crossroads of disciplines yes. that is involved and can be impacted. And mm-hmm. so we have a lot of dentists and orthodontists and we've got um, ENTs. ENTs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You've got, if that child can't people. breathe, if that child cannot breathe freely through the nose, when they come to see me for tongue thrust yeah. therapy, you're dead. Then that's the first thing that we've got to we've got to tackle that with an ENT is to get that mm-hmm. child freely breathing through the nose because I can't have that child breathing if it is a case of of open mouth posture with mouth breathing. I you know we've got to resolve that. We have uh-huh. to. Sure. Otherwise, sure. everything else won't fall into place either. You have to have an a good foundation, a good airway. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And we have uh, someone here that says, please write those authors' names in the chat or spell them. And you, I think those were the, the articles you were mentioning with the palatography. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, <laughs> there's, there's a ton of them. There's an absolute ton of them. Um, you know what? Email me and I will send you the bibliography. You're welcome to, to email me. I'm char, C-H-A-R, at speechdynamics.com. And I can send you a bibliography. I won't send you like, you know, 50 pages, but I'll send you. Um, yep, there it is. I'll send you, um, you know, probably four or five pages and maybe star some of them. But there's 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 a lot of research. And that's just on the sides of the tongue, the external stabilization. Then you've got the 1986-87 articles um, in the physiology field where they focused on the internal stabilization of the tongue and how the, the front part of the tongue can only move when you contract the mid part. And boy, do we use t- Mm-hmm. all of those l mm-hmm. you know retroflex er i mean so many of our speech sounds are generated with just refined small vertical movements mm-hmm. and, and, and um, if you, and that's you watch imaging of a person speaking there are so many fine movements hundreds uh, of them hundreds yeah. that occur yeah. in rapid succession together so you've got to have the mobilization, stabilization, you've got to have that coordination. And for our um, listeners who are interested in research, just to mention the International Journal of Orofacial Myology is open access. You do not have to be a a member of IAOM to access that. Dr. Nancy Solomon, Nancy Pearl Solomon worked very hard. It is open access. You do not have to have a membership or pay dues. You can get that information. International Journal of Orofacial Myology. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. You can access that. It is open access. Excellent. Excellent. And I know that you have a couple of two or three or four articles in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's I excellent. Do. Yeah. Perfect. Good. One is related couple, but... specifically to preparing students, uh, you know, in this content area. So that, yeah. that's on there. And there are some um, really um uh, good articles out there about working with children with disabilities who have myofunctional issues. I mean, there's, you know, there's practical relevant articles. There's uh, more research um, heavy pieces. And they just did, I believe, a special issue of my memory serves me correctly because I read a lot too. So I try to keep it all straight. Uh, yeah. They just did one on um, a breathing airway sleep disorders and that piece. So they had a, a guest editor, uh, in that area. So it's open access, Perfect. go check it out and learn as, you know, learn to your heart's content. Yes. There's a lot of information in there. Now, what and is stabilization? Um, Dr. Nancy Pearl Solomon is doing, you know, she's done a lot with the bite blocks and stabilizing the jaws. Um, done a lot, with a lot of her research has been in that area too. So if you're yes. interested in that um, and how to stabilize that jaw and, you know, get them in good coordination together. Uh, There's research there in IJOM as well. 
Mm-hmm. Good. Yeah. Now I've been following uh, Dr. Solomon's work for years. Mm-hmm. You know, she's one yeah. of the people that I she follow. She is a heavy hitter in the yes, research world. And she's yes, former she editor in chief of AJSLP. I know. I mean, she I is know. a dynamo when it comes to research. A oh, voice, she is. She's anyone amazing. needs voice research, apraxia, dysarthria. You know, she's got a lot of um of good research in those areas too, but she's yeah. really come into the myofunctional side. Um, and she's published many articles with us too. Yeah, no, I, I was so excited when that happened a couple of years ago. And mm-hmm. I mean, I, I just, I have such respect for her and for her mm-hmm. work and I kind of got to know her a little bit and mm-hmm. she is down to earth, but knows her stuff. And so and smart. She is so, so smart. smart. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I yeah. was just excited to 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 work with her and just to kind of pick her brain with a few things and you know get off on some tangents. And, but she is focused on information and from a practical standpoint. I mean, yes, which is what you want and yeah. and good and quality research. You know, quality mm-hmm. research and I mean, doing it right and doing it well. Yeah, yeah she yeah. she holds herself to a, a very high standard. So I have no doubt. And she's okay. elevated our journal and our research in this area. So absolutely. Yes. yes. Go check that so out. Good. Yeah. There you go. All right. So one of the topics that we kind of wanted to cover just a bit are um, oral facial myofunctional disorder trends, mm. like like current trends and what's trending mm. <laughs> right uh-huh. now. Um, and you did mention a little bit about the sleep disorders and that kind of thing. Mm. But what, you know, like what's current? Well, the sleep disordered breathing um, has really taken a foothold in myofunctional disorders. We had our 2019 convention, IOM was Airway is Everything. And we had um, the protege of the Stanford physician who originated the term, you know, sleep apnea, obstructed sleep, um, you know, breathing, those all those terms. His protege came and talked to us. The name is escaping me now, of course. So, but that's a trend, but even especially within children, those of us who work with the pediatric populations, we're really, and I I tell my students, you know, stay tuned with this because this is big, sleep disordered breathing in children, because I think a lot of our kids who are diagnosed with attentional deficits, um, really, you know, we need to start looking at the sleep disordered piece and children who have behavioral issues, Um, We really need to look at the sleep disordered breathing. I wrote myself a post-it note of all the trends I wanted to mention. Um, Breastfeeding, tethered oral tissues, big. Um, I I tend to lean on the side of, you know, I don't think every child needs a phrenectomy. Um, I, I tend to be on the more cautious side of that because we've got some research that it doesn't work a lot of times. And we've got some kids populations who are being targeted for phrenectomies because we've got providers not within our field out there. It's revenue generating procedures. So I want to caution SLPs. I When I talk to school-based SLPs, they're getting a lot of calls from parents because hmm. other professionals have suggested you know, that there be the, the laser scalpel be used. And, you know, they're asking, well, parents are smart. You know, they're going to ask, well, what's that going to do? Was it going to make a difference? Is it necessary? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so tethered oral tissues, breastfeeding. I don't work with breastfeeding moms. I've been a breastfeeding mom, but I don't work with breastfeeding moms. Um, and that side, um, piercings, piercings. Yes. <laughs> We've had some articles. Like tongue piercings kind of thing? Yes, but the getting the uvula pierced. Uvula pierced. I'm sorry. Where have I been? It makes me cringe. (laughs) Um, You know, we've had some within the orofacial myofunctional community. We've had some articles of of cautionary tales come out about that. Um, Yeah, I'm certainly not in the age group where I'm going to do. Kinds yeah, of I'm things. Not loop. <laughs> but that's we need to, you know, if people ask us about it, it's a that's a very vascular area that could lead to some really negative, you know, yeah. um, 
Yeah. Undesirable just don't things do it. to do have. Do not do it. Yeah. Do yeah. Let's do just it. not do yeah. that. Yeah. yeah. Just, um, just forget. But of that. course, now in clinic, you know, it's it's popular among students to get the tongue piercing. You know, and we have to tell them it hasn't been an issue for the past few years, but it yeah. has. Of course, if you've worked at a university for twenty plus years, you've seen students with tongue piercings, and we have to let them know. Look, you're trying to teach placement of speech sounds. And to have good placement, you should not have that obstruction in your own mouth. And so we have to have a discussion about that. And then the last one, this is not a trend so much in our clinical populations. It's a trend among us as SLPs. Lip enhancers. Oh. The fillers. Yes. More and more women. And and I say, hey, if it makes you feel good about I have not personally, you know, partaken in that but if it makes you feel good about yourself I'm all for what people what makes them feel better about themselves you know yeah um but we do have you know this thing called the lip flip going on where you maybe they you know they might overdo the enhancers or maybe they haven't settled in after you get the uh the plumping treatments and so some speech pathologists are reporting you know I'm having some trouble doing therapy because they can't get their lips together to show the proper placement. And I had, um, I presented on this not long ago. Um, Yeah, that was one of the trends. Um, Of course, it can lead to some lip incompetence, um, straw and water bottle use, spillage, your lips don't come together. Um, And then of course, some of the sounds, but yeah, we're calling it the lip flip. And that's, you know, we're always talking about clinical the people with whom we work, but this is something that's going on within our field. So, okay. So I'm, I'm, I'm not getting the picture. So if they're trying to plump their lips, make them Mm -hmm. bigger, what's Mm -hmm. her name? The, the lady that has those, the lips and whatever has all those kids and Oh, what's her Uh, name? Movie star. Oh, I don't know the, uh, Oh, Angelina Jolie. Angelina. Yeah. 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 I think she kind of, brought that forward. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't know. What do I know? But yeah. I'm wondering the lip flip. So what does it look like? Do they get too big? Do you end up seeing the too underneath much, part? The lips are too large and they flip apart. You know, they, flip, oh. they, they can't rest together. You know, they can't come oh, together. Awful. Yeah. <laughs> Can it be undone? Do you know? Well, you know, I mean, the filler doesn't last forever, so it's temporary. Okay. But, you know, okay. it, in those first few days or maybe that first week, could be up to two weeks after the enhancers, um, some clinicians have reported um, some issues mm. and some have reported some uh, lumpy lips even. Oh, so you could God. see that could cause some problems. Yeah. Um, and there have been some. I, I won't say these things in polite company. There have been some funny stories that have come out and I'll just, I'll just leave it at that with problems okay. that people have had. So. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, these are some trends that I've never heard of. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, yeah. I, I could relate to the, the tongue tie one and, you know, those kinds of things and also the sleep apnea. And that's trendy. Yeah. That goes in and out. I mean, you yeah. and I have been in the profession yeah. long enough, you know, we've seen it is really trendy. And, oh yeah. You know, things come and things yeah. go. And, mm-hmm. and, and I, I'm just hoping that oral facial myofunctional disorders stay. Yeah, oh, yes. and within it, within it, we can get all these trends and, and things. But yeah, that's very interesting. Very interesting. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Well, good. I bet you oh. didn't even think for a second the con- the podcast would go in that direction. Yeah. I didn't. Mm-hmm. I didn't. Plumping of the lips with what mm-hmm. did you call it? Lip flip. Lip lip flip. Yeah. Lip if you flip. get too much okay. plumping. If you get too much plumping. Okay. Get, I'll have to yeah, Google it. You can't get that yes. good seal. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. okay. This I was my, that. I don't know if you all can see my presentation that I did. That was my, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh. Uh, that was my, my, my diagram, my picture. Yeah. That I used yeah. to kind of, yeah. How fun. I love it. Well, Hope, you're just, you're a wealth of knowledge and oh. you're just so much fun to talk with. I, I think I'm going to have to kind of begin to wrap this up. 
And I thank you so much for your information. But um, I want to thank you for being here, taking time out of your busy schedule, and sharing this great information. I really do appreciate it. And and in closing, for all of you, I do want to thank you for being here and for tuning in and for you know for continuing to get the word out about the Speech Link podcast. And in a few days, you'll be able to access this course through SpeechTherapyPD.com and watch it again if you want. And if you so desire, you'll be able to access the audio-only version on most popular podcasts like Apple Podcasts and, and so on. So thank you so much for your supportive comments and on those podcasts and your, your good reviews. I greatly appreciate it. And also, if you're planning ahead first coming up this month, I am personally a guest on Madeline Metcalf's Making Sense of Mayo podcast, and my topic is three practical points of myofunctional treatment. Secondly, on the SpeechLink podcast, Rachel Arntson of Talk It Rocket, maybe you know her, um, and she's going to be speaking on an effective and systematic therapy format for young children and caregivers. So then also, I am personally doing a live one-hour course on five super sound stimulation strategies beyond the basics of traditional techniques. Okay. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks again, Hope, and to all of you. And I hope you know how much you are appreciated. And thank you so much for all that you do for your therapy kids. So we will see you soon. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. I'm thrilled you tuned into the speech link. I hope it was helpful. Just leave a quick review and subscribe to be a part of a select group that receives every episode. For CEUs, go to speechtherapypd.com. And for everything else, visit charboshart.com. There's free materials, articles, books, and my blog, Therapy Matters. Thank you for all you do. See you next time.